All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? How's everything? Where are we at? How are you doing? Are you okay? Hey, before I get too lost in my rambling about this or that, I want to take a moment to congratulate us. All of us, I guess, but Brendan and myself, we have been doing this show 14 years. 14 years. This is the, uh, I guess it was the birthday week, probably last week, but this is it. This is the zone. WTF has been a podcast for 14 years. And uh, I want to thank you, our listeners. I want to thank all our guests. I mean, look, it, this is, I, it's not an award show or anything, but it's another year doing this. And 14 is a pretty long run for a podcast. And we have stayed pretty level. We do all right. We're turning out good material. I'm always excited to do the show, but uh, I want to thank Brendan McDonald, who's listening to this right now, for uh, we were there at day one. It was just, it was really, always has been, uh, just the two of us uh, making this thing happen. Obviously, there's been assistants and bookers and contributors to the show, musicians, but the basic formula was Mark records the thing, and then Mark sends the thing to Brendan, who produces the thing, and then Brendan puts the thing up. That's the that's the magic sauce right there. Yep. Happy birthday, WTF. 14 years. Wild, man. I don't know if it's flying by, but all of a sudden it's here. Today, I talked to Michael Simon. He's a chef, a restaurant owner. Uh, you know him from the Food Network shows like Iron Chef America. He was also on The Chew. He had some great restaurants around the country, first in Cleveland and then in other cities. I, you know, I've gone to his restaurants in Cleveland. I knew his, uh, his sous chef, Jonathan Sawyer, had a restaurant down the street from Lola. He had the uh, Greenhouse Tavern. I've known about Michael for a long time. I have not um, interviewed a chef in a while. Chefs, I like chefs. I think that... There was a part of me that always wanted to be a chef. I remember when I fucked up in high school and I was thinking about, you know, living the rest of my life off the land or uh, wandering around my hometown. But I, there was a period where I thought I would go maybe go to culinary school. But then it just looked like a, a massive ordeal. And, and I always was interested in cooking. I, I was a short order cook in high school and uh, I worked in restaurants. I, I tried to be a line chef. When I was uh, you know, living in Boston after college and drinking a lot, I was a bad waiter and there was an opening on the line. I talked the manager into letting me try it. And uh, what a disaster. I just thought, look, man, if I put the apron on and get to hang out with those guys on the line, you know, the fryer guy, the grill guy, the salad guy, it was me and three other guys back there. But you got to sync up, man. You got to know what the fuck you're doing. You can't just throw a bunch of onion rings into the breading and then throw them into the fryer so it turns out like a big clump. It was so embarrassing and so brutally uh, humiliating. I, I mean, I think I lasted on the line two days. I fucked up everything. But it did give me an understanding of how the restaurant business works. And uh, But I always like to cook, and I know how to cook. Uh, I, you know, I can look at a recipe and figure it out. I talked to Michael a little bit about that. But I, it's weird thing as I'm going on in my life. Did I mention that? Todd Berry is also here. Todd Berry dropped by and, you know, he's got a new special out. So I talked to him for a bit. And before I ramble on 
about uh, about cooking. Maybe I can do that after. I, I'm at Largo in Los Angeles this Wednesday, September 6th. Then I'll be doing five shows at Helium in St. Louis, September 14th through 16th. I'll be at the Las Vegas Wise Guys in the Arts District on September 22nd and 23rd for four shows. And then Bellingham, Washington. I'll be at the Mount Baker Theater for one show on Saturday, October 14th as part of the Bellingham Exit Festival. Uh, you can go to wtfpod.com slash tour for tickets. There will be more dates forthcoming. Uh, so that is happening. Okay. That is, that is happening. Uh, oh, there's another thing I, I wanted to talk about. And, and I think it's reasonable. I got an email from a concerned, I would imagine a psychotherapist, but somebody who put something into perspective. You know, when I talk to Maria or I talk about mental health in general, I, I think you know, most of you, that I'm not speaking of a professional. But I think the one thing that this person had issue with is that when I say things like, you know, I, I had, a, I had, I was a little borderline or he's, a, or he or she's a little bipolar that sh- this person wanted to make it sort of explicit in, 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 in telling me that, look, a personality disorder is a personality disorder. It's something intrinsic to your being, you, you know, it's not, and we all do this. We all throw around diagnoses. Uh, you know, I think he's narcissistic. I think he's bipolar. I think he's borderline, whatever. But there is a a context and a way of diagnostics that determine whether someone is truly ill or mentally compromised with one of these personality profiles. And this person was basically making the point that you can't throw around the symptoms sort of disjointed and and haphazardly. Because it may imply to people that are really mentally uh, compromised or or suffer from these personality disorders, it might give them false hope or think that there's something uh, to uh, to not take seriously in, in their own diagnosis. So I just want to make clear that uh, I'll be more aware of that. And and obviously we all know that all of us have at least one or two symptoms of every psychological disorder. Uh, but that does not mean that you have the personality disorder. And, you know, I didn't think I needed to explain this, but maybe in, in lieu of this email and, and also speaking to people who are in my audience that have, you know, serious personality disorders, I don't want to give false hope or diminish, uh, the seriousness of their condition. And by, you know, me throwing them around like that, it may diminish that. Or also when I say things like, I think I was a little borderline when I was younger, implies to people that are seriously suffering from that disorder, the, the idea that maybe it goes away, you know, maybe, maybe it's not as serious. So look, not a mental health professional. We'll continue talking about mental health. We'll be a little more careful uh, when I throw around diagnostics or labels, but thank you for that email, Chris. So Todd Barry's here. I'll talk about cooking a bit before Michael, but Todd came by, uh, he was, uh, in town. I hadn't seen him in a while. I've known Todd Barry a very long time. We go back to the early days of both of us, uh, back when we, neither one of us could really get work at any of the New York clubs. And we'd wander around the, uh, East village, uh, wondering why, but, uh, but I always like seeing Todd. And when he asked if he could come on to promote his new special, Todd Berry, Domestic Short Hair, I said, sure, it's available to watch on YouTube. 
Just search it or go to the All Things Comedy YouTube channel to watch uh, to watch Todd. And this is uh, this is my uh, uh, just a little uh, like old old school WTF shorty with Todd Barry. I just had a culinary experience that was unlike any other. I uh, I was with I did a corporate gig in uh, because I'm kind of a picky eater. Yeah, but I went to a place called I think it was called Ever in Chicago. Yeah, and um, Rory um, Scoville. Scoville. Yeah, like we were both doing this guy's 40th birthday party. Yeah, and but he knew this guy who ran this place Ever, and it's like place where it's like two thirty, two hundred thirty five, two hundred eighty five per person. Yeah, but the guy hooked us up. Yeah, and it's just like we come out like six waiters come out (laughs) and all simultaneously refill your water glass. Oh really? And I ate like rabbit. I'd never eaten rabbit. No, no. I, I just I made a a pack to myself. I'm going to eat whatever's in front of me, which really? is really a big deal for you. It's a huge deal. Also, you don't want to be at that kind of thing and be like, nah, yeah. waving something off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, yeah. Nah, 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 and nah. then asking for something that's not yeah. on the menu. Yeah, you have a chicken Caesar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how was the rabbit? The rabbit was actually my favorite thing, but I think it was also like it was just like you know they give you a little small. Small portion, sure, and it was well, it was well seasoned and spicy yeah. or whatever. It was like chicken, right? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be like seeking asking, it out. Yeah, don't give me like, do you have rabbit? Yeah, yeah, I'm only eating rabbit. Now. I had rabbit in Chicago. I'm big into rabbit. Now. Yeah, well, they used it sometimes in sauces. I, I don't know. I think I've eaten rabbit, but I don't remember it. I, I'm having a hard time with. Uh, like I didn't get into the vegan thing for ethical reasons, but like I've gotten hyper sensitive to animals lately. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll flip through Instagram and you just see those interspecies affection videos. Oh my god, yeah, they kill me, man. I yeah. can't, I can't, and I feel like we've done such a disservice. Like I just feel terrible for animals every day. Yeah, and I, I read. I don't know if you see these like Instagram posts where like this is Charlie's last day. Like <laughs> when oh, they film, no. the, like they're gonna put him down the next day. Like God, you're yeah. trying to wreck me here. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I, in a coffee shop. <laughs> Crying. crying over some strange guy's cat. Do you remember, like, I remember, like, you did always have sort of a, a specific food thing. I, like, I went to New York. I was there a couple of weeks ago for a few days just hiding and just for no reason and just trying to go to museums and feel the city uh-huh. and, you know, recharge. You know, I didn't, I ended up doing, I hadn't done comedy in a club in New York in years. Yeah. I just won't do it. I just can't, I don't know why. I went to the, the stand. Uh-huh. It was okay. You know, but like I, I don't. There's something about there's something about me and doing stand up in New York. It's almost like going to where the trauma happened. Yeah, <laughs> scene of the crime. Exactly. You know, like I still get that weird kind of like, oh fuck, I got to lock it. Like there's nothing, you know, comfortable about it. All the weird willies come back. Yeah, I'm trying like lately to just be comfortable not having jo- having jokes not work. Uh, yeah, I'm working on that too. Which is the hardest thing. How are you doing with that? Oh, I, I sort of am in a, I mean, I have a special that came out yesterday. That's what we're talking about. Oh, what was that, on YouTube? Yeah, on YouTube. What's um, it called? It's called Domestic Short Hair. <laughs> is it all about your cat? There's a lot about my cat on there. But, I do uh, cat jokes, yeah. Well, hey, wait, uh, I, I, I did them first. No. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there's no crossover. <laughs> I usually do one or two. That'd be uh, funny if it was the guy who claimed that, hey, I'm, I'm the yeah. guy who came up with cat yeah, jokes. I'm yeah. the cat guy. <laughs> Notice they were kind of goofy. So you're trying to, so you, you self-publish this thing? How does no, that it's work? All Things Comedy, Bill Burr's and Al Magical's company. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they, they paid for it and they, they tried to sell it and didn't sell. Where did uh, you shoot it? 
in Chicago. I'm where at the Den Theater. Oh yeah, yeah, which is nice. Yeah, it's about three hundred two fifty. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Side they treat you really nicely there, and it's good layout. Yeah, but um, so I did it there, and but it's like over a year ago, so right. So there's a couple like little COVID jokes that perhaps I could have cut out, but I didn't. But. Isn't it, it's so weird to me that like, you know, like there are still people talking about like, you know, Beretta or yeah, it's just like, that's a bad reference, but it's <laughs> sort of like we all went through this traumatic, awful fucking thing for three years. The world has not really recovered from the trauma of it. And people are like, yeah, go, it's out. You don't need, don't mention it. Yeah. I mean, there, I mean. Like, I, what the fuck? I shouldn't even be talking about this out loud because I did glance at my YouTube comments, which is, I know, better than to do that. That's going to be your but life they were, for fucking- vast majority of them were very nice. Yeah. And, but then there's a couple, and I also think if you talk about COVID in any way that's like, maybe it was okay to wear a mask. Yeah. People are reacting to that. They're not reacting comedically. They're no, just going, the worst. They're, they're just like, the fucking worst. You know, the type of people who say face diaper or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're, <laughs> it's the worst. Like, I, you know, I, I, put, a, I put up some posts on- I did an Instagram live and my TikTok guy put up this post about Barbie on uh, mm-hmm. uh, on TikTok and it got like almost like 2.7 million views. Yeah. And that was just me saying I like the movie. Right. And that uh, if you're a guy that got offended by this movie, you're a fucking baby. Right. And it was just like a shitstorm of opinion about all these guys. They, it's all dug in their head, all this right wingy woke thing. It's just like so tedious and dumb. And it's sort of like, there, and then the picture that there's a guy that sits there and makes a decision to post that. Right. It's like, who the fuck is that? I, I got to let it go. I get very, I can't look at any of the comments. Yeah, I, I'm going to, I today I promised myself I wouldn't look anymore. Do you do it on Twitter too? On Twitter, I sometimes, re, I don't I don't get a lot of hate on, tw- I've gotten hate on Twitter, but what am I talking about? But I, uh, I just feel like even I went on Reddit and the comments were good on the special. Oh, yeah? And I'm, like, I'm, I'm not even sure I know how to go on Reddit. Yeah, I mean, I just discovered it through uh, <laughs> what you, through Googling. Yeah. But What do you got? You just do a search? You go to I Reddit? Put, and do, well, what I did was yeah. put my own name in and yeah. then the name of the special and, right. and it came up with that. So now I'm, I'm afraid to do a YouTube thing. Like Are I, you? I, I need a patron. Yeah, like I mean, I, I, I yeah. I mean, I didn't, uh, well, I mean, obviously I, I'm in a, a position where I got one with the HBO special, but my fear of the YouTube thing is that like, I put all that work into it and then you just got to be like, look at how many views it gets. And right. it's going to kill me. Right. Yeah. It, it's true. With Netflix, at least they, they don't tell were you. nice <laughs> enough to not tell you one thing about how well your special was done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you just like, hey, can I find out my special? Nope. Yeah, I Aren't noticed. we working together? <laughs> yeah, I know. They won't Should tell this it? be friendly? Yeah. I notice it's it's hard to find and it's only been up for three days. But, Is there a problem? I mean, I did a reframe with uh, how I feel about the special because I have no choice, but because it didn't, no one bought it. Right. So I was like, all right, this is going to be a... I'm kind of tired of all the jokes on this anyway. Right. Oh, that's good. So it'll be a calling card and hopefully help me sell tickets on the road. Are you touring now or no? Yeah, I'm on a, a tour that I, <laughs> it's kind of a, it's kind of embarrassing, but it's called the half joking tour where it's half jokes and then it half crowd work. Oh, okay. I thought that was an easy way to, to, to tour without having a new hour. Yeah. And is it going well? I've only done three shows and they've gone pretty well. Where? I did uh, Ashland, Virginia is where I started, which is near Richmond, which was great. Then I did Annapolis. Annapolis. Yeah, and then I did Philadelphia. Philly. Yeah. We're in Philly. City Winery. Oh, people are doing those. I know. Like um, I talked to Mandy last night or the other night, and he's doing them. Yeah, he's doing the Philly one. I know. So. Yeah, he's like doing a lot of them. I didn't yeah. realize it was a chain. 
Yeah, it is. It's gotten, it's, they're popping up everywhere. Yeah. What do they, they usually see, what, four or five hundred or something? This one was, this was pretty big, probably 350 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And they, because they had to do a lot of music, right? Yeah, they're mainly music, mainly like singer songwriter yeah. people and like, you know, like. Nice venue though. Yeah, and they treat you nice. Grown up people. Food's good, yeah. 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 What about that one in New York City? There's a good one there, right? Yeah, they, they have two rooms. They have a smaller room, which I think is actually better for comedy, but yeah. it is smaller. It's called the Loft at yeah. the City Winery. It's, it's about good. A 175, yeah. So what's the big plan for life? You, you're just going to keep... I, do you ever have that moment where you're like, how am I still living this life? It is weird, yeah. It's like I... Because we're old. It, right. It's a little scary, but... Yeah. There's a big chunk of time that... I don't think it was COVID. Maybe COVID didn't help anything, but in terms of like time gets very fluid. And now all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to be 60, you're going to be 60. And it's like... It didn't... It's, but I don't think it went by fast. No, it's... But it does feel like, you know, how'd I get here? Yeah, it's just like, you know, it's just, you just think, oh, you start thinking about uh, every decision's much more important and like... Yeah, but also the enjoying yourself thing comes up a lot for me. Like, Am I doing that? Oh, as opposed to working too hard or... Or just like not knowing how to enjoy myself or no, like you're going to Madrid, that sounds like a nice yeah, thing. Yeah. You're able to enjoy yourself? Yeah, I am. I mean, it's a little stressful because sometimes they're like, oh, I, I, you know, I want to write some jokes and I'm going away. But then I'm like, I, I don't want to be the person who doesn't go away. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And also we come from this weird work ethic. Like I, I'm doing more comedy now than I think I've ever done in my fucking life. Really? Yeah. I go out like three nights a week, work out shit. I do hours at Dynasty Typewriter trying to work it out. And I, after my, it, like during the pandemic, I was like, you know, maybe I don't have to do it anymore. You know, maybe I'm all better. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, but then as soon as other people started doing it, I'm like, fuck, I got to get out there again. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason we've been doing this for pushing 38 years or 36 years or whatever. What is it? I don't know. I mean, I do. <laughs> you know, help me, help me out. I do worry that sometimes, like, if am I just locked into this now? Right. Or well, I, I mean. Because it's a big difference between your first time on stage and your 10,000th time on stage. Well, we obviously are locked into it, but and obviously we get something out of it, and it is what we do. Yeah. But then, like, it becomes this thing like, well, we're just fortunate that we have an audience at the age we have uh, we are, mm -hmm. because the whole there's like three generations after us already that are all kind of, you know, going at it. Yeah. So my moments, like, you start to look out at your audience, and I'm like, oh, I'm middle aged people out there. Yeah. And you know, that's I mean, why wouldn't there be? That's who I am. I've what am getting, I expecting? Yeah, I've been getting a lot of families at my shows lately. <laughs> where you're just like, okay. And it's always like, right, we got the father with son. The mom. I mean, one guy brought his mom in Virginia, brought his mom and his sister. And she's like, I'd never heard of you. <laughs> yeah, that's always good. But she was she was having a good time. She wasn't saying it in a shitty way. But yeah. it's just like, yeah, I know. You. I'm figuring your 28-year-old son, son's probably the one who would brought you in yeah yeah i don't get a, i don't think i get a lot of families but i get i get young people that are kind of like me yeah that work sort of i think that I, I mean i get smart people i have good audiences and that but 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 the point is is like i don't know what i'd be doing if i didn't have people come to see me would we still be fucking I yeah mean, yeah i mean w w yeah that's true. I mean, I do like to sort of go, oh, this is kind of a cool little life I've yeah, yeah, right. cut out for myself. Well, that's good. you got to have that gratitude. But, my, you know, it's like, it's not like we're not like Seinfeld, who's like, you know, he's going to decide to go out and make a billion dollars because mm -hmm. he's like uh, internationally loved. Right. I mean, like there's some points where I'm sort of like, do I even need to do this anymore? 
And I think about that all the time, but like, I, I clearly need to do it for myself. But like, what are you going to, I don't, I don't, I don't know what retirement do. doesn't sound fun. Doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know if I could do it, but there's nothing dragging me back in. Like if I stopped doing comedy mm-hmm. and I, you know, I, I didn't make a big deal about it. I'd just be like, you know, I don't, what happened to that guy? You know what I mean? Right. But of course I talk about it on the podcast, but I don't, I think about like, a point where maybe I uh, I stop. I don't know really what that looks like or what I do, but I, but the, one of the benefits of being comics is clearly we have an ability to do almost nothing for days on end. Yeah. So if you just take oh. <laughs> if you just take the going out and doing a set part out of that, you know what do you have? Yeah. Here's a heavy question. Do you yeah. ever uh, worry about losing it? Losing my funny? Yeah. Your fastball. <laughs> I see it happening to people. Oh, I've seen it. Or you're just like, oh, my God. It's, it, it's usually when people don't do it for a while and they come back. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking about that with uh, with Patton the other night. Like uh-huh. I, uh, like we were talking about Kumail, is that there are guys, Patton goes out a lot, but there is this sort of, there's a new generation of comedy goers. And I know that a lot of times when I do the store, maybe a third of the people know who I am. You know, I'm not some, I'm not... The only people that everyone knows who they are at a very high level uh-huh. of saturation. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I talked to somebody, you know, I said, do you know John Mulaney? And they're like, no. So it's everything's this sort of weird bubble. But so if you're not going out and doing those shows where you have to do the job for people that don't know you, how are you going to stay in shape? How are you going to get up and do just regular comedies if people don't know you, if you don't fucking stay in shape? You got to stay in right, shape, right? right? Right, So I don't know if, I don't know if I worry about losing it. Okay. Um, the ability to to sort of uh, do what I do. Now I will. Oh, now I, I'll think about it. Because I put it in your head. Yeah. Do you, oh, you mission think about accomplished? It? <laughs> <laughs> you think about it. I think about it because there's even like songwriters and I'm not going to name names, but people are like, oh, that's just that. It's not great. Not what it used to be. Yeah. They think they're doing great. Yeah. I mean, I remember had a, uh, a English professor was talking about I think Faulkner. And yeah. He said at some point the spirit left him. Yeah, I was like, uh. <laughs> and then I did look up the professor, and he was arrested for stalking. But that's just a side note. Guess the spirit didn't leave him. Yeah, those, <laughs> yeah you ever do that? Him. Look up someone you just like. Oh, what happened? That guy it was a little weird. Oh, yeah. arrested for stalking. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, guy. yeah, he had the bad spirit in him. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I do worry about losing it, but a lot of it's just like, what? What can you do? There's, there's certain things we can't do anything about. That was deep, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I. I think that the the thing that drives me stays pretty vital. You know what I mean? Like I've never been like a, a joke to joke guy, but uh-huh. like I seek to en- engage, and and like I think you lose it when some part of you just kind of walks through it. Like I I, yeah. I think if if you're not engaged, um, and you're unable to get there, uh, then it's a problem. Right. If you're phoning it in. Yeah, but I, I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know what that looks like. It seems like everything I do requires all of me to do it. Right. Like, I don't know. Well, what if the crowd's just kind of, uh-huh. Well, I, what I used to do is, you know, just get mad, mm-hmm. make it weird. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I do what you do. Like, if it's not great, you sort of go like, ah, oh, I thought that would get right. better. Life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you kind of make light it. of it. Yeah. Uh, but other times I realize... And this was the 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 big grown up realization about you know God forbid I got this I had this when I was twenty 
you know, five or 30. It's just that like some nights aren't good. Right. And, you know, you get what you can. Like you, like you, you know, like you can do your best joke and then you feel the level of that mm-hmm. and you know, it's a good joke. And then you just have to decide like, well, that's the peak right. of what these people are capable of. Right. And also, but then there's also those audiences where like, are too good. Yeah. yeah which, totally, yeah. which is, you know. It's always good to reprimand them for A weird that. thing to have, weird problem to complain about. But there's a thing where like, yeah, I, I'm not going to, I can't assume that I'm going to get that every time. Yeah, no, there was a, I had that happen, you know, fairly recently where like I, but I think that people, certainly people that would come see us are really kind of like, you know, these are dark times. So they do want relief. Yeah. And, and sometimes they come just sort of like, I hope they do it. You know, I hope they give us the, right, and right. they're excited to go. Yeah. I, I, it's always interesting. Like I'll, I'm sure you've gotten people who are just like, Hey, you got me through a hard time. And yeah. Like, really? How did I do that? <laughs> With my, I get a lot of that. My joke about going old navy. Then <laughs> sometimes that's all it takes. To yeah, me. like I was talking to Bargatze the other night, and, I, and he said he he told me something I said to them him that you know he he sort of remembers and thinks about you know in terms of about doing comedy. I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I helped out. Yeah, he's doing very well. Yeah, he is. He's very funny, dude. Yeah, he's very funny. But I think that I uh, I because I can't relate to like I was feeling blue. I, like if I'm if I'm sad about something, I'm all in, man. I'm not going to, I'm going to turn on a comedy film to cheer me up. Like, it, yeah. it ain't going to work. Yeah. No song will make, no song will make it better. Nothing. It just has to yeah, yeah. end on its own. But I did so many Instagram lives and all this stuff that it became a regular thing. I think that it's really that, that sort of standard thing of like, whatever makes people feel less alone. Yeah. Uh, even for a moment, it, you know, it's like a goddamn uh, life preserver. Yeah. I'm, I'm like moved when someone tells me that, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. I'm, I, I'm sort of like, I'm, I'm always sort of uh, as gracious as I can be and, and just tell them glad to help out. And a lot of it has to do with booze and things like that, mental problems. Like, you know, I just did a, I put up a, an interview with Maria Bamford uh-huh. and those kind of interviews. It's like, you know, there's just people that are alone in their heads and it's right. not good. And if they hear anybody saying anything that they can relate to, they're like, oh, my God, thank God. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that easy. I think jokes are really like that sometimes if they can relate to it and they you make them look at something a different way, even yeah. if it's simple. Yeah. It's like relieving. Yeah, like, we're doing God's work, Todd. That's I was about to say the exact same. Thing. <laughs> all right, so what's the name of the special? It's called Domestic Short Hair. Okay, it's on, on YouTube, YouTube on the All Things Comedy YouTube channel. When you go on, you leave for Madrid from here. When are you going back to New York? I'm going back on Thursday. Then we then we go to Madrid. All right. Well, good seeing you, man. Good seeing you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. There you go. That was Todd. Me and Todd catching up. Again, that Todd Berry domestic short hair special is available on the All Things Comedy YouTube channel. Uh, And now cooking. This is a double header. We got Michael Simon coming up. And as I was saying at the beginning of the show, I I always was drawn towards cooking. And and it's interesting because my mother could not. Uh, My mother uh, is a a lifetime uh, eating disorder person, but manageable. She, uh, as I've said many times, uh, you know, part of her focus in life and her job was uh, 
maintaining a, a, a fairly real eating disorder and maintaining a particular weight for a very long time and eating very limited things, uh, some, some of them not, not appealing. But when it came to cooking, that was not really happening. There was a lot of uh, TV dinners. There was a lot of defrosting things. There were a lot of attempts. She would uh, buy frozen foods at high-end places that sold frozen foods. There was a place called Tully's in Albuquerque, sold Italian stuff. And then she'd sort of defrost that and mash it together with some of her own ideas. And uh, that and, uh, you know, uh, TV dinners. And it would not... Not great, you know, while she sat there and ate a, uh, a mountain of salad. But nonetheless, because of that, or in light of that, I, I became sort of uh, kind of fascinated with cooking. But as I was saying before, I didn't really realize that you could just cook, that you could just be a good cook uh, until college when I, I had a professor who was uh, obsessed with me, predatory, uh, took advantage of my vulnerable, nebulous sense of self and identity, and uh, uh, really tried to uh, to to get me uh, in bed and tried to uh, convince me that uh, I was gay. And it was you know, completely boundaryless and in retrospect, uh, not on the level <laughs> and uh, not appropriate. But oddly, uh, though I didn't turn out to be gay, uh, I was very impressed with this guy. And uh, there were, you know, dinner parties at his house. And one of the things that he changed my life uh, in a lot of ways uh, in, is that he was this self-taught gourmet chef of, sort, uh, of a kind. And he was just able to, you know, have managed these dinner parties and cook these amazing things without really thinking twice about it. And I, if I took anything from him, uh, it was this idea that I could do that. And and I think about it all the time that you can, if you put together a kitchen and you have the stuff you need to cook and you are, are focused and have an understanding of, of putting things together, uh, whether they're recipes or improvising or whatever you want, that you, you can do it. Uh, you don't need training. And obviously everyone knows this. I mean, Michael Simon was on the, on the, you know, on the food network. I mean, that showed everybody how to cook, but either you can or you can't, but maintaining a kitchen and cooking for yourself is it's good for you. And it's a tremendous, uh, uh, gift as a hobby. It's, it's very satisfying to cook. Uh, sometimes I'll spend hours cooking and, and minutes eating everything I cooked. So there's the balance is not great, but, uh, but it's nice to, uh, to be able to cook. And I will thank Gary Orgel for giving me that gift and also uh, fucking me up in the head pretty good for a lot of years. But somehow or another, the gift of, uh, of, of cooking and finding the confidence to do that overrides the trauma of his predatory nature at the time. Rest in peace, Gary. So Michael Simon came over here and he's got a new book, a new cookbook, Simply Simon Suppers. He's a great chef with a, with a good story. Nice guy. The new book, Simply Simon Suppers, Recipes and Menus for uh, every week of the year, comes out next week, uh, Tuesday, September 12th. You can pre-order it right now. And uh, this is uh, me uh, having a conversation with the uh, lovely Michael Simon. Some people were surprised that I cook, and I and I realized, and just tell me if you think this is true, some people can't cook. Agreed. And, and I think the reason is, is that if you look at a recipe and you can't picture how it's supposed to come out, you can't cook it. 
like how all the pieces come together. Like if you're just a person that's like, oh, I'm going to throw this in, I'm going to throw this in, I'm going to throw this in, without with very little basic technique. If you can't visualize how it comes together, you're going to be like, what happened? Well, I think the visu- visualization helps. I also think, sadly, yeah. I mean, in my I, in my opinion, I guess that there are people out there that food's just not that. They eat food purely for fuel, right? And those people tend to not be uh, able to cook because, not because they can't, but more they just don't care. Yeah, is and it's that's sad to me because like sometimes in my kitchen it's like I'm running a restaurant, yeah, right. like because I'll cook for the week, but I've been vegan lately. But that makes it more challenging and interesting. No, hundred percent. My wife was uh, vegan for my wife was vegetarian for twenty. Three years. And she and stopped vegan for three. She started eating meat again during the pandemic. Um, Why? But not a lot. She still eats very, very, very little, if any, red meat. It wasn't you know? even an ethical thing for me. I just want to see if I get my numbers down. Yeah, she did it. She it wasn't. It, she just has never felt great when she ate red meat. Uh-huh. So it's she never ate a lot of red meat anyhow. Yeah. Um, and then she went just to seafood and then she stopped seafood and, you know, now she eats a little bit of seafood again and occasional chicken kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not being terribly hard on myself, but I do like the control element of it. Like when I, cause I got hold of, uh, do you remember Angelica kitchen? Yeah. 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 I got hold of her cookbook, which is sort of a basic macro balance, you yeah. know, in terms of putting stuff together. Right. And I'm kind of into it, man. No, I mean, no, she Angelica Kitchen was a great restaurant. Yeah, making my own uh, sauerkraut. Yeah, yeah, fermenting. No, it's fun. Fermenting's fun. I love to ferment. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not going nuts. Go nuts. Really, Mark? Go nuts. Really? <laughs> Just it. get get all the little jars. Yeah, and... do it. It's fun. I yeah. mean, and then you get all the there's, the there's tons of health benefits, man. You get you know, I, I, I great hear gut that. health and the probiotics. Do we know that for sure? I, I mean, I, I, I mean, here, like, here's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> I don't know if you know anything for sure. I tend to, like, my grandfather lived yeah. 103 years old. Oh, so you're good. And that's well, what it's all about. That side. Like, that, I'm good oh. on one side, bad on the other. But yeah. he ate for breakfast every day. He ate eggs yeah. and, and rye toast with goose fat. Like, every day. And oh, But awful. he also made his own sauerkraut. Oh, yeah? He didn't eat any packaged foods. He mm. always cooked his own meals. Sugar? Very little sugar. That's the thing there, I think. You know, and and he was healthy. Yeah, um, he died during the pandemic. Actually, he he um, at one hundred and three. At one hundred and three, but he lived on his own till he was one hundred and two. Good brain. Yeah, and was mentally fine. Like his body just eventually gave out. Like his bones just gave out. But yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't know about all that that the gut health because I mean, I'm drinking a gallon of coffee a day. Same. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the gut real, I think it's a lot of it's a racket. A lot of it's a racket, but I think also there is, you know, I, like, look, I, I yeah. did two cookbooks called Fix It With Food. And yeah. What, so you had a big shift, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have uh, about 25 years ago, I yeah. found out I had discoid lupus and RA. That could be bad. Yeah. Lupus. And, and so, but I, I mean, I have the external lupus, not oh. the as bad one, but like basically if I don't. If my diet gets wonky, if I'm out in the sun too yeah. long, you know, I start feeling the the effects. Yeah. So I'm, um, and in my early 30s and late 20s, I just, I'm like, whatever. I just kind of plowed through it. And then yeah. as I got older, you know, I was like, ooh, this is starting to affect me more. Huh. And I didn't want to go on meds. Yeah. You know, I'm already on, you know, I, I, I uh, genetically have a little bit high cholesterol. That's what so, I got. Yeah. So I take a cholesterol pill. Um, and I d- just didn't want to take any medication. So, 
I started tweaking my diet. Yeah. Um, and finding out what my triggers were. And it turned out for me, it ended up being dairy, dairy and sugar. Like, yeah. When I eat those two things, my joints and everything hurt. Really? Yeah. So, like, I do think that, you know, well, gut, gut health, this, that, the other yeah. thing. Who the hell knows? But sugar you know? we know. Sugar we know. Yeah. And And then ultimately, it's like, one thing I do know is, and everybody... I think knows they yeah. just choose not to food. What you put in your body is what yeah. you get out of your body. Yeah. You eat like shit. You feel like shit. Yeah. <laughs> you eat good. You feel good. Well, that's the you thing. Know? That was what I wanted to see with the cholesterol. I guess we'll just talk like old men for a minute, but I, <laughs> this is what we do. I got a friend who I see now, like a, a friend I've known forever. He's like 10 minutes on health and that's it. Then we're moving to another subject. I'm starting the clock. Let's go. <laughs> so I got a, <clears throat> But so, like, I get this colonoscopy, so I know I'm clean, right? right yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to do vegan. You know, I'm on 10 milligrams of statin. That's what I was on. Okay. And, I, and my, my LDL usually lingers around 125, 130. So it's not horrible, right? So I'm like, I just want to see. So I'm on the statin, and I do a week on vegan. And I got a blood test. It went down to 80. That's on the statin. That's interesting. And then, like I said, well, fuck it. I'll get off the statin. I'll go three months vegan. And that guy, I got it. just went up to 100. And because of my HDL, the balance, the ratio, it got me off of meds. So I was like, well, fuck it. I can eat like this. Yeah. See, now, I, I because my wife was a vegan, I ate healthy yeah. at least a couple days a week. Right. Because, I mean, I'm a carnivore. I mean, I eat a lot of- Your whole, it seemed I, like you're, you're, you're meat-focused. I you're like meat. Meat-centric. I'm a meat guy. Yeah, yeah. I'm meat-centric, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, I grew up in Cleveland. I mean, we didn't know what a green vegetable was. Yeah. Like, it was like, you know, like I'm Greek and Sicilian, so we ate a lot of like uh, bitter greens and stuff. Uh, but greens. like, I was like the weird kid on the street. You know, yeah, like, what yeah. the hell is that? That's yeah. a vegetable, guys. You should yeah. try it, you know. So the dandelion greens, yeah? Oh, yeah. Dandelion, yeah. escarole, all, yeah, those, yeah. all those kind Just of greens. Boiled? Uh, sauteed. My mom was a oh. real, my mom is a real good girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when I went, I went, when my cholesterol got weird, yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe it's because I eat too much meat. Yeah. You know, they say you eat too much meat. Right. So I went vegan for two months. Mm. My numbers didn't change at all. Interesting. Nothing changed. So you locked in. See, I don't know. See, I'm going to go so, back. But my mom, you know, my mother is, I have a hilarious family. My dad is six foot four yeah. and about 195 pounds. Yeah. And my mom is four foot 10. And like, just since she's turned 80 is now over a hundred pounds they're they exercise yeah, they're healthy yeah, and my yeah. dad was These a big runner yeah the greeks and italians mm. and you know my dad like like ran eight miles a day they're healthy people yeah. um but my mom has high cholesterol like if it. you look yeah. at her you'd be like mm, th and she eats healthy yeah. i mean healthy yeah. healthy well that's the other thing about these uh you know these paleo people and the pe there are people literally eating only meat that's not good well right but they, they may there might be benefits to it maybe but they, i don't know but you got to take into consideration that some people have fucking heart disease yep. and you're telling them to you know and well, you could sit around and go on the internet all day long, but you, you know, docs say, "Look, you got the hike, you got a little heart disease. Don't eat the so much." Of this. Yeah, and I like I'm I'm of the Julia Child's thought process. Yeah. everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah, you know, it's like, look, I know dairy fucks me up. I don't eat any of it. You know, but occasionally I'm with my granddaughter and she wants ice cream and yeah. I love ice cream. Gotta eat ice cream. So I have ice cream. Sure. And I know that the next day, now I know what my triggers are. So like, I know the next day I'm going to be a little achy. Whatever. Really? Like, it's kind of like, you know. I feel hungover. It, it's kinda, well, I was going to say, like, I know that if I have two old fashions, the next day I'm good. 
if I have three old fashions the next day, I'm not good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But sometimes I still have three old fashions. <laughs> well, you got to live a little. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to, you just have to take the hit. Yeah. So the other question I wanted to open, uh, start out with is I remember seeing like, there's this thing. I, I remember I, I've interviewed some of your peers, but we talk about this egg thing, you know, like I remember seeing a, a top chef once, uh, where, you know, the final challenge was the perfect egg business. Now, what is it about this perfect egg business? It's a true business, man. It's like, so look, an egg to cook an egg properly <laughs> takes a lot of finesse. And so, like, when young cooks would come to our restaurant, yeah. like Lola, our fine dining restaurant, yeah. the first day they got there, I yeah. would be like, make me a French omelet, make me a soft scramble, make me a sunny side up. That was the test. That was the test. And it wasn't, like, and everybody likes their eggs different. It's yeah. not about how you like your eggs. This yeah. isn't about how you like your eggs. Like, I like those eggs just how they are. Like, yeah. I like an omelet that has no color and is a little bit creamy in the center. Yeah. Um, I like very soft custardy eggs. Yeah. Now, I do like a hard fried egg because that's how I grew up eating them with my grandfather, like crispy on the bottom yeah, I like and that runny too. on the top. Like, uh, we used to call them dippy eggs when we were kids. I, well, I like a broken yolk. Over I, I don't hard. mind a broken yolk yeah. either. Yeah. Like, I just love eggs. Yeah. But the test was to see if you had the control of the heat of the pan. Right. And the finesse with your hands to yeah. do these three things perfect. Right. And if you did, there was a very good chance that I could then teach you how to be a great cook. Okay. If you really struggled with the, like if someone showed me passion. Yeah. But they struggled with the ability to control the heat of the pan and the hand skills and dexterity to do these things. Yeah. I would still hire them. Right. But, but Maybe they start in the pantry or maybe right. they start in a place where we have to get them to develop these skills. Because if they, you, you can't teach passion, you right. could teach technique, you could teach skill, you could teach all those things. It's like, you know, I used to tell people that work for me that sometimes did the hiring, some of my chefs, yeah. I'm like, an asshole is an asshole. You can't teach somebody to be a, like, they're coming to us already that way. Yeah. Like, so. And that's not unusual in your profession. No. So <laughs> we want to hire good people. Right. And the rest we could show them. Right. But the egg test was just to see where they were with their ability. But the, but the asshole factor in, in, in the world of chefs, sometimes you, you know, uh, you know, assholes do all right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could name several. Sure. Um, eventually, I do eventually think it bites them all, though. I, I, you know, I think if you are, uh, I mean, like, look, when I, I'm 50, I'll be 54 in September. When I was coming up, it was a different world. Yeah. It was very aggressive. Most of the chefs were European. Uh, they yelled, they screamed, they prodded you with meat forks. They, yeah. I mean, it, they burnt you intentionally. Like, there was some, it was insane. It was like, what am I? doing they like, burnt you intentionally oh yeah like i had a french chef that i worked for and he would move he'd walk over to my station and move the pans down just enough so my arm would hit the handle yeah. that just came out of the oven and it would like stick to my flesh you know and i'd like look over and he'd be like well you shouldn't have your sleeves rolled up oh you know it's like conditional training yeah uh, i'm like oh my god this you is remember insane. though didn't you i did i mean i still <laughs> rolled my sleeves off because i was a prick right but uh, you know uh, um 
you know, I like remember talking to my, you know, I come from a very blue collar family. My grandfather was a pipe fitter. My dad worked at Ford, you know, and yeah. I, I was a pretty good wrestler growing up as a kid. And, and I said to my dad, I'm like, thank God you and Pap molded me. And then all those years of wrestling, cause I don't, I don't know if I could deal with this otherwise. And, but then what the, the message that it sent to me is like, I learned a ton from these chefs and I would never say I, I wouldn't do it again. I would do it tomorrow. But it, I also realized that this isn't how I wanted to run my kitchens. Well, let's talk about that, the, the temperament because like, I, you know, I don't know much about Cleveland, but I, I always liked it when I worked there. And it just so happened that my experience of Cleveland over the years that I've done stand up there was always that block where you had restaurants. Yeah. So, you know, but, but I would go to Slyman's. Oh, it's awesome. You know, like, you know, I'd go do radio and they drive us over to Slyman's for corned beef at 10 in the morning. <laughs> the best. And it's packed out. You're getting corned beef and eggs. Packed. Eggs. Yeah. Packed. And then I remember there was a grilled cheese restaurant. Melt. Yeah. That mm -hmm. was a thing. Definitely. But so growing up there, like you're 54. So do you remember it as a thriving city? No. Yeah. No. I mean, you know, uh, my grandfather grew up in a what ended up being a, a rough part of town outside of, I mean, technically it was Cleveland Heights, but it was um, off a street called Noble. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it was a blue collar town. Right. And, and downtown kind of died. Everybody moved out to the suburbs. It and, already happened by the yeah, time you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, like, we would go to the Browns games and the, the Indians games back yeah. then, and, and the Cavs weren't even in downtown Cleveland. And my grandmother worked downtown uh -huh. um, at Higby's, and the the West side market was very near downtown. So yeah. I was downtown quite a bit, but it was, it, it had, it, 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 by that time it, people had moved to the suburbs. Right. And then when I moved home from New York in 90, um, shortly after that, like I was at a restaurant in, in the suburbs yeah. and then my first chef job was at a, in 1992 in a place in the city called Piccolo Mondo. And that kind of started the uh, gentrification downtown. Huh. So when you're growing up, the wh what is the plan? So you're a wrestler. You got siblings? I have a sister. And you're a wrestler a and you're just a, what, not a jockey guy, but what? No, I I, I mean, I was a little jockey, but I was kind of one of those jockey kids that got along with everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went to a high school called St. Edwards, which was the, the, was and still is the number one wrestling school in Catholic the country. High school? Catholic high school. You grew up Catholic? I grew up Catholic. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm a little scarred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like real Catholic? Like I mean, like guilt. Like a lot of guilt. Oh, I had yeah. a lot of guilt in my life as a child. But you, like, you, you believed there was a hell and everything else? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, uh, I went to the school, it was the best wrestling school in the country, and you know, everybody that went to that school got a scholarship to college, which yeah. I needed to get because I came from a, you know, blue collar middle class family. Yeah. And uh, my junior year, I had a significant injury. I broke a plate and 14 screws in my arm and dislocated my elbow and blah, 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 blah. That's blah. from wrestling? Wrestling. And oh then my God. tried to come back from it my senior year. Now, I've been wrestling since I was six. So I tried to come back my senior year and broke the plate in my arm. Yeah. So then back into surgery, year and eight months in a cast, uh, all my scholarships were gone, started working in restaurants to help pay for college, fell in love with the business, and here I am. But what was what was that? What, where did you know that you, you liked it? Because, like, I, 
like I always liked it, but I, I never like I worked in restaurants when I was high school. But they were in high end restaurants. It was just, you know, I did grill work. Yeah, know? I mean I did grill work to start and then worked at a nicer place after that. The minute I was in the restaurants, I like I love this. The and pace? The pace, the you know, I'm I'm A D D. So it was like so when he saw 10, 12, 15 so dupes, dupes on the line, yeah. you're like, and, here and, we go. Right. And then every like eight minutes, you have a new thing. So yeah. it was like, you know, it, it's, I feel like a lot of chefs are probably ADD. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it's, it's our brain just, you're like, you know, you never have that squirrel moment because so much is going on and you always get like a new little toy, like essentially. Sure. Um, you, you know, next dish, next dish, next dish, next dish. Yeah. Uh, so it it's. But you were doing grill stuff first. Yeah. Uh, you know my my buddy's dad owned a barbecue joint. Yeah. I worked at the barbecue joint, and but I fell in love with the business. I I come home. I tell my mom and dad that you know at the time there were only two culinary schools. There was a CIA in Hyde Park, New York, and there was uh, Johnson and Wales in Rhode Island. And I tell my mom and dad I, I think I want to go to culinary school to be a chef. Now, in 1985, yeah, there was no. Food Network. There was no Celebrity Chef. There was no, you know, there was there were two fine dining restaurants in Cleveland that, you know, now they'd argue it. But my dad lost his mind. He's like, no, you're not like, like you're not going to school yeah. to be a laborer. Right. Like you're you're going to go to college because, you know. But that's interesting because he saw it that way because that's sort of true because I would say that probably 80% of the people that come out of those schools become managerial chefs at, at restaurants, executive chefs at, you know, uh, function places, right? right? I mean, well, and yeah, and back then, like, you know, I, I, it was – you're getting an associate's degree. Like my dad looked at it like, you know, your grandfather was a pipe fitter. You're basically just – you're learning – you're a pipe fitter with a different skill or whatever. And that was great for my grandfather and it's great for tons of people. Yeah. Like, but I just, he didn't, he wanted me to go to college and get a traditional degree and sure that, you know, but so it is what he just couldn't see past you being a cook. No, to, to, right. I was going to school to be a cook. And, yeah. And then I, you know, he made me go to Cleveland state. I went to Cleveland state for a semester and got a point two. <laughs> not a two point, a point two. And he said, how did you get a point two? I said, I don't know. I didn't go to a single class, but someone gave me a D, which I thought was very kind of them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then my mother, who was the one that everyone was afraid of in the house, said, this is bullshit. He's going to culinary school. It's what he wants to do. Like, she made it happen. I went to culinary school and, and it, it obviously worked out good. Because which one? I went to the Culinary Institute of America um, in Hyde Park. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually my father worked for me. So it worked great. <laughs> what did he do for you? Uh, he did the books. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So now, like, we're, because now I think it, it's some something something new has happened in the world of people's understanding of, of chefs in that, you know, we, like the Food Channel and, and the Food Network, I mean, I remember when Emerald came around, you know, yeah. it was just sort of like everybody was bam. Oh, it was yeah. crazy. I mean, I started on Food Network in 1998, so I was there for the whole Emerald thing. Yeah. You know? And he seemed like a good guy. Great guy. Yeah. But now with the popularity of the bear, you know, people are like, oh, that's that's what's going on? <laughs> and it's it, how how true to it is is it? It's a little bit more frenetic. I mean, it's television, but sure. like I would say, season two of The Bear much yeah. more realistic than season one of The Bear. Right, loved both seasons, um, but like some of the things that you see in season two remind me of some of the things that would happen when I was coming up in the business. Like 
you know, you, you start a job and you basically, you cut leaks for a month mm. and it's like until you're proved that you could cut the perfect leaks, you know, kind of like how cousin you polish silverware, Yeah, you know, like that's how those kind of restaurants always worked. So when you go to culinary school, I mean, like the, the thing I notice about chefs and, and just in about like, you know, what I do in comedy is that, you know, it is a singular kind of expressive profession. It, it is hyper competitive. There are ways for you to stand out because of your particular craft, even though everybody learns basically the same way at a certain level, right? Hundred percent. And uh, and and also there there's there's a burnout rate. There's drugs. There's there's all of that stuff. But it is a outside of skill. It's a culture of personalities, very strong ones. Yeah, I think for television. But um, I mean, but it just seems like if you're going to be in the game to to win it, you know, the creativity and and also the accessibility. Uh, it, it's 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 very personal. Yeah, I, I, like, look, you go to school, you could work for great chefs, you could do all those things, but ultimately, you're never going to have grand success if you're not creative, um, if you don't have your own thoughts. Like, a, a chef that just copycats other chefs is never going to be ultimately a, a super famous or successful chef because you're just ripping off other people's shit. It'd be like a, a comedian, you know, like if you got up and just, who's your favorite, who was your favorite comedian as a kid? Oh, coming up? Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, Richard Pryor. Okay. Yeah. So like if you just went up and did Richard Pryor jokes for yeah, two weird. hours, be weird. Yeah. people might laugh, sure. but you're never going to become famous and, doing and, Richard Pryor And jokes. they'd wonder why I was talking from a black perspective. <laughs> yeah. But it will also like musicians, you know, there's the, a cover band is never going to be famous. They can make a living. Sure. But, you know, they're never going to be Van Halen. But there's also the same thing with, with music or with comedy is that, you know, there there are basics that you learn and there is an evolution of of, of style. But I, like, because I always heard, like, I, look, I got Julia Child's cookbook and I was going to try to do stuff, but I, I don't like all that butter, you know. But but it's still, when you go to chef school, right, it's still uh, French cooking, right? Yeah. But the, but everything's based around French technique for the most part. So why like, is that? Because they were technicians. Like I mean, the Italians didn't need to be as technicians as much because they just throw it in, and they had beautiful product. Uh huh. The French had shitty meats, and you know their product wasn't as good. Uh. So they needed the the Berblancs, and yeah. they needed the Hollandaise and the Bernays, and they were they were they covered up the lack of product that that they got in places like Italy and Greece with incredible sauce work technique. Okay. So, so like it was all to hide rancid meat? Yeah. Basically, <laughs> you know, but like now if you if you if you mix those great techniques that, that the French have with the products that you're able to get in America, that's when in my opinion you end up with something special and then you throw creativity into it and it, it takes it to another level. So when now when you go to to school for this stuff I mean, is it is it jarring? It's a whole new thing. You're not there's you're not all you know is you work in a you know a couple of restaurants, yeah. and you know you got to what you got to get your outfit and you got to get your yeah. knife. Got to dress funny. Um, you know they give you the checks, they give you the chef coat, they give you the knives, and and then you, you know you go through the classes in kind of an organized fashion. You know where it starts with skills and then it moves into international, and then you know with every class that you take, it becomes a little bit more of a refined thought process. They try to show you as many different cuisines as you can. They can. But are you thinking from the very beginning, like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna push the envelope on this. Yeah. I mean, 
hundred yeah. percent. That's how my brain works. Like I, I can't help myself. Like, but you I, learn the skills and that you have to have a certain knack for that. There are some people I imagine that no matter what they do or how long they do it, they're not going to be able to just like do that dicing business. That, no, or, or they're just going to be tech. Like maybe they're great at the dicing, but not the creativity. So right. they end up being great sous chefs and great technicians or maybe a hotel chef or, you know, something of that nature. But it's, it's uh, like you, my brain was always like when I would even see a technique, yeah. I'd be like, okay, now how can I turn this into something else? Yeah. Like, so, but you know, what's happened a little bit now yeah. with the younger cooks is they want to do the creative stuff before they know the techniques. Yeah. And you can't, Yeah, you know, it's like a, a painter. You can't say like, Oh, I'm an abstract artist. Well, you Without, can't paint a line, dude. Right. You, you got to know? know how to paint. Like That's right. always the thing with poetry. With, anything. Yeah. with the with the arts that have some wiggle room. Right. Y you know, people think like, I can just start at the yeah, end. Yeah, I'm just going to start at the end. Yeah. But so did you guys, like, are there classmates of yours that became big chefs? Um. Yeah, I'm a lot of successful chefs and my classmates. Um. You know, from a television standpoint, kind of, or but even critically, a critically acclaimed, a couple. Yeah. A couple. I mean, there's a, a kid named David Adji. He's in Toronto, but he's owned some very successful restaurants in Toronto. There, there, there's been some successful chefs. Um, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to, to you know, have a lot of success, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's look, it's, it's like anything else. It, you have to be good at what you do, obviously. That's yeah. the baseline. And then you need a little bit of luck, a little bit of timing, a little bit of those things. Like my... Vision. Yeah. And, and when, I mean, when I was... We opened Lola in 1997. I was 27 years old. That's crazy. Yeah, crazy. And then in 1998, Food and Wine named me one of the best new chefs in America. Food Network gave me a show, and uh, Bon Appetit said we were one of the top ten, uh, top 50 restaurants in the country, and one of the top 10 new restaurants in the country. So all that happened in 98. I was like, holy shit, what's going on? You know, 27, and my, and my world changed. But when you're, how, how long do you go to culinary school? Two years. So it's just two years mm -hmm. and then you're done. Now, where do you learn like the, tra the trajectory of now I got to get some guys to bankroll my vision for a restaurant. I got to put together like where, how do you like when you're thinking about this stuff, what is going on in the culture that makes you decide what you're going to do at Lola? Do you know, you got to have some classic. Yeah, well, there was six years in between graduation in that well what'd you do so i, I was I, I i took a job the, the big mistake a lot of young cooks make yeah. is they get out of school and they want to get a paycheck right i got out of school and i said i want to work for this person who was i that? didn't give a shit what they paid me there, there was a guy in cleveland named mark sherry he was very creative yeah um very talented and then i went from him to a guy named carl quagliata well, what do you learn from that guy like what made you what you eat to that guy like what dish they, they it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> yeah. even the dishes it was the mindset of you know mark taught me that regardless of what you knew if you didn't buy the best product you're fucked <laughs> like yeah. like you have to start with something great to end up with something great now you could start with something good and make it very good but it's hard to start with something crappy and make it great right so i learned a lot about purchasing and ah searching and working with farmers and building all that relationships kind of stuff. building relationships i learned a lot of that yeah. from mark and then when I went and worked for Carl, Carl came from old school Italian restaurateur, but he also had butchers in the family. So yeah. he taught me how to break down whole lambs and hogs and 
you know, there was a bandsaw in the restaurant. We would like cut all our own meats and steaks. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he taught me how to use like every part of the animal, which, which is, then you learn how to make money and then you learn how to control things. And then it creates another creative valve in your head. Isn't of, that like, French how do I use too? all too? Yeah, for, I think French and Italian. You know? So what do you do with all those bones? Stock. Okay. And what do you do with the tongue? Uh, you braise it and shave it onto a sandwich <laughs> or smoke it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you throw out the eyes, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, my uncles would <laughs> ate them, but that's that's a whole different story. It's like there's always that guy. It's like, that's the best part. Yeah, but like, I mean, like at, at Mabel's, where you probably went in Cleveland across from Hilarities, it's like, you know, we did crispy pig ears. We yeah. did... We did, you know, the skin, the chicharrones. We oh, did, yeah, yeah. we did the cheeks. We did, you know, and all that was learned. Very variations of that were learned for when I worked for Carl. It was like he is like, you want to make money in the restaurant business and still serve great food. This is how you do it. You you have to learn how to butcher and how to use everything. You know that guy up in Canada, that uh, P de Cochon. Oh, P de Cochon, yeah. That guy, like, you know, when I first ate there, because I go to Montreal, I used to go to the festival once a year, and I'd go to that place, and it was like, what the fuck am I eating? Yeah, a lot of foie gras and duck in a can. It's crazy, the foie gras, yeah. man. And But but also, he does the whole pig's head. Yep. And your guy, uh, Jonathan, used to do a whole pig's head. Yep. Because I used to, you know, uh, I'd go eat at the Greenhouse Tavern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but he started with you. He did. Yeah, Johnny worked for me for a, a good amount of time. And that was like all meat. Yeah. And then the last time I went there, it was like, I literally, dude, I was so excited. I was working at, uh, it was a theater. I used to do, do you, you know Nick from Hilarity? Very well. Yeah, yeah. Where he's Greek. I mean, like, you know. Right, great guy. <laughs> we people. You know, he makes a good steak over there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I went in there because I'd always go to either Lola or to Jonathan's place, but like something was off. You know, the food was off and like he didn't seem right. And it was like literally days before he closed yeah. the town. But I guess that's the He's racket. in Chicago now. He's he's doing good. He's a great kid. I mean, he worked for me from when he was a kid, and then I watched him grow, and then we actually helped him find the greenhouse. The greenhouse location, we had the location. We were going to do something there. It's like two doors down. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, Johnny, you know, like, I'm not ready to open another place. We have first rights to this place. Put your restaurant here. So, so you learn how to butcher. You learn how to purchase and order and build and network and understand that, you know, freshness and quality goods. But, like, how do you learn? Is this something you learned in school? Like, it seems to me like I didn't know about all these. I kind of knew about these stations. Like, you say pantry. Right. Or you say, you know, uh, like a baker. Or, but you have to have all this within the restaurant, right? Correct. I mean, well, depends on the level of restaurant you are. Like, I mean, Lola was an extreme. Like, I like basically with Lola... We made a decision. We had other restaurants too, so that helped. But we made a decision that, that Mabel's or Lola was basically going to be a break-even restaurant. And it was there for us to hang our hat yeah. and to teach the next generation of young cooks how to cook. So we had a full butcher department. We had a full pastry department. We like, I mean, you know, we had four three to four people that worked in our pastry department at all times, sometimes up to five. In Cleveland, most people bought their pastries. Right. You know, um, we had a butcher department. We made all of our own salamis, prosciuttos, cured meats, butchered our own steaks, like all that so kind of stuff. So you got to have like an aging place? Yeah. Yeah, we had it right in the right in the restaurant. And yeah. I, I mean, most restaurants just buy salami, buy cut steaks. But they can buy, buy good. Oh, you no, you could get good things yeah, that way. But right. like my, I felt like. Got to do it all. Like, look, we've been very fortunate. We have, have helped 
change how people feel about dining in Cleveland. All these great young cooks, people like Johnny and, yeah. and several others have come through our kitchens. It's our job to continue the education process that I was able to get through school and several restaurants through our restaurants. So if we could teach people how to butcher, how yeah. to make salami, how yeah. to cure meats, how to make pastries, how to work, you know, I mean, our, our mine and Liz's business partner used to say something like he'd walk into the restaurant. He was the numbers guy. Yeah. He'd be like, there's like, it'd be like five 30. We're just open. He's like, um, just so you know, there's 30 people in the restaurant and 37 cooks. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You know, I'm like, eventually there's going to be 130 people in the restaurant. He goes, there's still 37 cooks. Why do we have 37 cooks? Yeah. You know, but it wasn't like it, for Lola to make money. I, I would have had to charge double. What yeah. we charged and people don't a hundred percent understand that, but that's what it was. And it's and, also like, but you, you also knew going in that, I mean, it lasted a long time, man. I mean, you know, restaurants come and go so quickly. We closed during the pandemic in our 26th year. Yeah. I think I had the, the, I think I had probably the same thing out twice to eight or those scallops. I think I had. Oh some. yeah. Cause that's a tricky thing. Scallops. Oh, hundred percent. <laughs> now how are you with the uh, pastry cooking? average at best. Yeah. Yeah, but I hired great pastry chefs. <laughs> that's the that's the real chemists of the Yeah, of the, oh, they're they're machines. I had back to back insanely insanely, you know, up for James Beard awards, all those kinds yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah. Insanely good pastry chefs. Breads too? Yeah, breads too. Like it's just uh so the the whole undertaking of fine dining. Like for me with fine dining, I eat too fast and I don't know if it, you know, I I enjoy it. But but there's part of me that that it's so precious and no, I, and I, yeah and we you know we we were a Cleveland restaurant and I'm not precious so like we straddled the line of of like look I don't like food where people have tongs and this and not tongs uh, yeah yeah yeah, right, yeah little tweezers and tweezers yeah, and all yeah. that bullshit like it's just too precious for me yeah like, for I, me I don't even know how to eat it yeah I mean I it? like I understand the thought process behind yeah. it I respect it I, I have nothing against the chefs that do it yeah but, yeah like make it delicious like right. the, my whole thing is like make it delicious um you know like a, a, a perfect example of a Los Angeles yeah. chef that like uh, everything she that comes from her hands is yeah. spectacular, but it's not precious is, is like Moza, like Nancy Silverton just makes beautiful food. That's not overworked. It's simple, but it's special. I was there last night yeah, for a party. Yeah. She's magic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's sometimes like it, it just with, with pasta in, in and of itself, it's like, what, why is this so different? Yeah. And there's like three things in here, but it's like the best thing I've ever well, eaten. That, well, that life. was the experience I had, you know, at Conant, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know where he stands in the... Oh, in, Scotty's very talented. Very good, right? Very talented. So I remember I go to uh, Scarpetta, you know, because I was watching the Food Network show, and, and just that that basic spaghetti. The Pomodoro. Yeah, and I'm like, what the fuck? Is <laughs> yeah, it's tomato sauce, butter, and basil. You're but, like, it, <laughs> but it was the butter. Oh, so good. I didn't know what the... I couldn't figure out yeah, what... Yeah, he puts a lot of butter in. Yeah, man. <laughs> so like when I, went, when I interviewed him, I went to the restaurant, and he cooked it for me. I'm like, oh, shit. And then when you do that, when you know it's the butter which I didn't know, but right. I imagine most chefs know, or is that a unique thing? Yeah, no, you know. I mean, but he does a little bit more than others, but it's, it's. look, going back, like, you're like, I was going to, I got the Julia Child's book, I was going to start cooking on it, but all that goddamn butter. Yeah. But, like, 
that pasta that you ate it's the butter. was all that damn butter. <laughs> right. And that was the magic sauce, yeah. man. Because the butter rounds out the acidity and the sweetness of the tomatoes, and it gives it that tremendous mouthfeel. Yeah. And it just makes it insane. See, there's all that thinking, too. The yeah. mouthfeel, acidity. Like, I got that book, the, what is it, Acid Heat. Oh, that, good book, yeah. You know, to try to get. But, like, I just walk into a couple recipes, and I make them for months. Right. And that's it. I don't learn the thing. I innately know sometimes, you know, like I'm, uh, you well, know, we, what I always tell people is like, look, I, this is our, like the, the, the new Simon Supper is our yeah. ninth book. And, you know, and I've done, God, I don't know. I've been on cooking on TV yeah. since 1998. Yeah. So a lot of recipes. And, and I'm always like, look, a recipe is a guide to you as a home cook. Yeah. The first time you get the book, follow the recipe. And then use your palate to judge where you want that recipe to go. Learn the technique of the recipe. That's the important part. And then, you know, you make the recipe and you're like, eh, I think this should be more spicy. Add right. some chilies. Yeah. You know, I think this is too acidic. Pull out some lemon. Whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, he used cilantro. I'm going to use basil. Yeah. You know, so once you learn the technique, you could use the recipe is a guide. Like if, if you had that book, the, you know, acid, heat, yeah, yeah. salt, um, you could go through that book and a recipe that you were doing for a month and then you could go, you know what? I think it would be a little, like, I like blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. going to try putting that in. Sure. And it might change everything for you. Yeah. So that's, that's the creativity. Element. Yeah. But when, okay. So when you do Lola, now you had a barbecue restaurant where you still have, right? Uh, Mabel's. Yeah. And, and yep. that, how, how, far in were you when you opened that um mabel's has been open seven years so we were what 18 years into lola now the barbecue craze is fairly recent yeah i mean we were a bit ahead of it yeah but it's 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 exploded and i mean i the, the reason i got into barbecue is food network and the chew i mean i'm going back t over 20 years yeah I, I met this guy named mike mills who has since passed and they called him the legend yeah and you know i always say when you're when your nickname is a legend and you didn't give it to yourself, yeah. you're a fucking legend. Right. You know, and he, to me, was the- The barbecue guy. The master. He was in Cleveland for something, and he comes to Lola, and he's sitting at the bar, and I'm just yeah. feeding him, and he's like, you should open a barbecue restaurant. Yeah. And I'm like, why do you say that, Mike? He goes, you make and smoke your own bacon, you smoke pastrami, you yeah. do, you're doing all these barbecue things. Yeah. And I went out and spent a little bit of time with him, and I just continued to fall in love. Where was with, he? Uh, he was in St. Louis and um, and Murfreesboro. So it was like that's barbecue land. Yeah, barbecue. You know, and and he was just the the best at it. He was a three or four time world champ at one Memphis and May several times. Like just incredible. It seems like there's like a a, a lot of creativity possible with barbecue, and, and that's it, what's happening now. Like but, it used to be like. Okay, you do Texas, or you do, you do Kansas City, yeah. you do, you know, now it's getting a little bit more hyper-local. Like Mabel's, we do Cleveland barbecue. When I first said that, people were like, well, what the hell does that even mean? Yeah, I'm like, what well, does it mean? I'm, it's the flavors that I grew up with. So, yeah. like, our sauce is based on, the base of our sauce is Burtman's Ballpark Mustard, which they serve at all the stadiums and arenas in Cleveland. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't do raw onions like they do in Texas. I do yeah. sauerkraut because yeah. it's Cleveland, you right. know, so... We smoke with apple and cherry woods because those, you know, we don't use post oak, but if within 20 miles of Cleveland, there's apple and cherry orchards everywhere. Right. You know, and peach and peach. And and you find that 
it it stands out because of those things? Like you can identify that? Yeah, I can. And I mean, I don't know. Like, of course, I think it stands out, but it it's uh, it makes it you it makes it uniquely ours. And so, what is Cleveland? Is, it, is that German based, Polish based? Very very Eastern European, yeah. German, Polish, yeah. Irish. Right. But like like, but I would never like. Why would I open up a Texas barbecue restaurant in Cleveland? It doesn't well, even make it. any damn sense. Well, that's but that's smart, you know, because I got into this thing with barbecue. I'm only going to eat it where it comes from. Right. So I go to Texas and I go out to this place called Opie's because yep. it's a drive and it's, it looks like it's supposed yeah, it's to. Yeah, process, right? And they, you know, and they treat me well because I think when you get to a certain level with brisket, you know, if it's good brisket, it's going to be good. Right. Right. But but uh, but I wouldn't eat it anywhere else because because there just seemed like so many people were just popping up with yeah that. and and why should I make a brisket like they make in Texas because the Texas brisket screams of Texas you know so like you know we do more what like do you do with your brisket well our brisket we season it with more of the spices you might find in a pastrami okay you know and we smoke it with fruit woods a lot of pepper coriander oh. you know like those kind of things uh-huh. so like it still tastes like a great smoked brisket but it has a flavor profile that that sings more to Cleveland. Yeah, you know. And what was the third restaurant that you had? Um, we had a place called Lolita. Yeah. Um, oh but, yeah, yeah. But it uh, it it burnt down. It burnt down. Yeah. It was all wood fired, and it it we had a fire there. I mean, it's been a while now. It's been like seven, eight years ago now. So now, when does the when does this Top Chef business start? Well, I started. I mean. Iron Chef, Iron Chef was before any of them. It was before Top Chef. It was before Hell's Kitchen. That was the, it was the before, Asian one, right? Yeah, it started in Japan, and then it came to America in, uh, gosh, 2003 maybe. But what was your break on the Food Network? What were you doing? Well, my, my first show on the Food Network was a show called The Melting Pot yeah. I, in 1998. What was the angle? Uh, it was Eastern European food. Okay. Because um, it was from my you know Cleveland roots. And, pierogies? Uh, uh, we, yeah, pierogies and, you know, all that kind of Eastern Euro food. Yeah. And I had a co-host named Wayne Harley Brackman. Yeah. Uh, who was Bobby's pastry chef. Um, Bobby Flays? Yep. Yeah. And then uh, I did that for two years. And, you know, this was before Rachel Ray. And, like, yeah. there weren't a lot of viewers of the Food Network back then. And, I mean, I remember saying to Bobby, I, you know, this just isn't, like, we don't get paid anything. At the time, Lola was, the original Lola was me and two other cooks. So for me to leave and film for two weeks was very difficult. Yeah. You know, I stopped doing Food Network. I would still do specials with them. Yeah. And then when Iron Chef started, they asked me to do Next Iron Chef, which I won. And then I became an Iron Chef and did that for a long time. Yeah. um, And then that led to several other shows on the Food Network, uh, which led to The Chew, the ABC show. Yeah. You know, we had a talk show on ABC for, God, seven years. We did- uh, Yeah. 2000 episodes of television because i remember when it happened you, you know the the food network because i was sort of a chopped attic you know because like i i, I like the uh, the idea of bringing all that garbage together and right. making something and then you really got to see the chef's personalities in a different way but were you aware i mean when did when when did you become aware that uh, like you know that thousands of people were locking into this well thing? iron chef you know, so like, but that was a competition show. They're all competition shows. Yeah, but there weren't any back then. Yeah, that was the first one. So it like, so you know, prior to Iron Chef, you know, I won Food and Wine Best New Chef. I won James yeah. Beard Award. I won all that shit. You get the Michelin stars. I Cleveland didn't have Michelin's. Doesn't have Michelin stars. So Why? 
They just don't have it. It's, what does that mean? They don't Michelin have it. stars only in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. Really? Yeah. It's not like a, a countrywide thing because no. it's so specific. Right. Yeah. So if you want to go get that star, you got to- You got to be in one of those cities. Huh. Um, but so, did you rally for that? Didn't you get a, couldn't you get a board I tried together? and they basically were like, <laughs> we're not going to Cleveland. <laughs> we're not going. You're the only yeah. guy there. What yeah. are we going to do yeah. in Cleveland? So, it's a, it was a setup. It for was, you. yeah. <laughs> so when I won Next Iron Chef, the- the amount of media coverage for yeah. that show was like nothing I had ever seen before. Like it was insane. I, yeah. They named a street after me in Cleveland after I won Iron Chef. Yeah. Which is bananas. I yeah. mean, come on, you know. What's on that street? Uh, Lola. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that one street. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it just, it, that's when I realized, even though I had been on Food Network for a long time. Yeah. That's when I realized the power of it. Yeah. You know, I really, truly realized the power of it. Yeah. And because of that, you know, because there was only a handful of you, you guys yeah. and women, then the, the restaurants filled up, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there were, it, it, when I first became an Iron Chef, there were only four of us, you know, and who was it to about seven after that? It was myself, Bobby, Morimoto, and Kat Cora. Uh huh. Now, Bobby, you guys get along? Very well. He's yeah. one of my dearest friends. Yeah? Yeah. We're so different, it's unbelievable, which is probably why because we get along Because it's you so well. two. You guys got the top chefs more than anybody, right? Yeah. Him and I have done, more, I think, more Iron Chef battles than anyone. And, like, like with him, I noticed, because, like, you, you know, look, I'm, I, I eat more basic than, than I, I'd like to admit. But, you know, with him, it was like there was 900 sauces. A lot, lot, of, lot of stuff going on. Lot yeah, of I mean. But his food's gotten simpler now. I, I kid with him now. I'm like why do you want to be Italian now? Like, yeah, right. I, you're like, you used to make fun of me all the time, but now you want to be Italian? Like, yeah, but he wanted to be Mexican for a long yeah, time. Yeah, but he loves the, he's just a great chef and he's a, Bobby's a great guy. I what is it Bobby though? Like, you know, you guys have styles. So, you know, what's your difference in styles? In terms? I, I mean, I would say he's very, he's more Southwestern influenced, yeah. more chili influenced. Yeah. The funny thing is, it's like, I think if people thought of us as chefs, they'd think we were very different. Yeah. But we cook together all the time. Yeah. Like, on TV and at home. And we cook very similar. Yeah. It's just how people think of our food is different. Sure. But the, the way we go about it is very, very similar. Well, I, I notice that sometimes when I see these, uh, when guys at your level are cooking and you can see it, is that there's a shorthand to it. Like, you know, even if you're, you, you, you know what they're doing, but there will be an ingredient or something like, oh, okay. Right. Well, so <laughs> Yeah. Like, I mean, like, you know, like. We would, like, Bobby and I, like, if we were making a dish, we'd probably get to a, a certain point. Yeah. And then it'd be like, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to finish this with uh, mint, flatly, parsley, and dill. And he's like, I'm going to finish it with, you know, chipotle, ancho chilies, and something. Right. Like, everything up to that point is the same. Right. It's And so, but where did you draw the line in terms of when, you know, the the art of fine dining sort of started to, you know, there were a lot of fusions going on that seemed like a stretch. And then there was the the period of the the foams and the- and oh, I hate that shit. But that's what I got the sense of, like, almost always, like, the old school guys are like, what is that? It just pisses me off. Like, <laughs> With I, like, smoking I remember things. someone said, like, try this tomato foam. It tastes just like a tomato mix. Just give me a fucking tomato. Like, I, I don't understand. So I, that was a, that was sort of a, a, a fad. Yeah, I mean, but it's still around. And, and I mean, I guess it has a value like anything else. Looks weird. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, it's just not my thing. It yeah. just, I try not to poo poo things that aren't my thing because then yeah. you just sound like, oh, you know, you don't understand it. I understand it just fine. I could do it just fine. I just don't like it. 
Like, but it's interesting. So most of the stuff, like Eastern European, you know, Greek, Italian, uh, and French, that all sort of makes sense. You can kind of move through yeah, those, you can right? Move through it, and and I mean, but the way that I cook too, it's like, look, almost everything that we've cooked in our restaurants and I do is over live fire. I've always cooked over live fire. Yeah, you know, to me that is a, a skill and creates a unique flavor that no one else has and you know like putting things in and out of wood burning ovens and wood burning grills yeah and smokers now and things of that nature it it like i would rather spend my time doing that than yeah. making a gelée or a foam or a it just it's more it seems more uh uh kind of um honest yeah and what about asian friesian I love Asian food. I don't cook it, but I love it. Now, when what I is, try to cook it, I screw it all up. Because, like, that that seems to be... Same, well, same with uh, uh, Mexican and Southwestern, is that there's an entirely different spice and style spectrum, too. And Asian's been around for thousands of yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, so I you're like, dealing with some deep shit. Oh, really great stuff. It's just... You know, I've never been trained in it. So yeah. I don't... I, like, sometimes I'll pull something here and there. and um, But for the most part, my food stays in... Like, you know, live fire, meat centric. Yeah. Um, and then like a lot of crunchy vegetables. Right. Like that's how I cook. Like that if I had to like sum it like acidity, fire, meat, raw veg. Yeah, because there's interesting uh, people like you know Bayless? Yeah, very I know him very well. Like he did like He lived he, in Cleveland for a long time. Did he? Yeah. Now he seems like an interesting guy because like there was a point there where I I would go to that uh, Chicago airport and he had that uh, oh, that the, sandwich the sandwich place. place yeah and I was torta right yeah. and I was like I'd look forward to going <laughs> good sandwich man. right torta was deli- I don't know if it's still there but man delicious I'd be I'm like I'm, I got to fly American yeah, because right, that yeah, fucking restaurant that's where that thing is it's right in the terminal <laughs> yeah it's but it's it's interesting to me that something. So simple can make such a difference. Like yeah. there is really kind of some outstanding thing. But Rick, you know, Rick is a, a student of that cuisine and I mean, really understands it and puts his little twists on it. Yeah. But it's incredibly delicious. So what, what are you doing like outside of the, like this new Simply Simon Suppers, which you like when you approach uh, putting a cookbook together, like you said, the last two were kind of a, a little more health oriented. Mm-hmm. But like when you're going to do a new cookbook, like you, you, what was the angle on this? How'd you break well, it this, down? This one is like every, like I grew again, the Greek Sicilian family. Yeah. We, people were at our house every Sunday. We did Sunday supper every week. Yeah. Um, but it was always the same. With exact, the gravy? It, yeah. It was the same exact Sunday supper. Cavatel, uh, we, my mom called it Sunday sauce, but gravy. Yeah. Uh, garlic bread, big salad. Like it was always the same. Yeah. And there were always anywhere from eight to 20 people and that was that yeah and so what liz and i've been doing now for god as long Your as wife? i can remember um yeah liz is my wife yeah. and partner in all the restaurants yeah. and a psalm and yeah. designs the restaurants incredible uh palette she yeah. does the food network show simon's dinners with me in my back in our backyard um so every sunday every sunday if we're not traveling or working or whatever we we do Sunday supper. Yeah. And all of our friends come over, family comes over, and I, I I do a different one every week. And so this book is fifty-two weeks of Sunday suppers, basically. And when when you prepare something like that, you sit down, you just write it down, you lay it out, you just No, I just cook. You right. Know, and then we re like I write the notes of what I made. Yeah. And then we recreate it into the book. And in the the book is fun because, you know, Typically, a cookbook is broken down into like starters, salads, entrees, desserts, whatever. So we did this a little bit more 
throughout the seasons, but yeah. we also broke it just down per meal. So like every um, recipe is a full meal. Yeah. So there's almost there's all, close to 185 recipes in the book, um, but they're broken down for meals, including holidays. Oh, so okay. it's like 52 weeks of meals. Right. Oh, that's great. And now, all right. So let's just say, like, where do you eat in LA? Uh, you know, I'm currently in love. There's a restaurant now. Again, I'm in Venice. So we love a restaurant called, Liz and I love a restaurant called Hatchet Hall yeah. in, in uh, Culver City. Yeah, we're just, we're kind of getting our, our L.A. roots back a little bit. Uh-huh. So we're discovering some new places. You know, that we're just, it's it's just, it's a great food town. I actually, Liz and I were talking the other day and all my New York friends are going to punch me in the face when I get back. Yeah. But, um, I actually think LA may be the best food city in America right now. Oh my God. I got to go out more. Yeah. It's really, cause there's a lot of creativity going on. There's a lot of, I mean, obviously the product here is unmatched. Yeah. Um, but we've just had, maybe it's cause we're going to places that we haven't been. Yeah. So there's some of that, but I, I think LA may be the best food, food city in America right now. Huh. And where, where do you stand on fish? I love to eat fish. It's hard, <laughs> is it, it's hard to make it interesting, isn't it? I don't think so. I mean, I, I it just dep- I guess it depends on the sure. the fish. But yeah. it's I, I find fish to be very versatile, incredible. You know, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's it's very different than cooking meats. It takes a little bit more um, finesse and and you know, there's a, I feel there's a, a a gentleness that comes with fish. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to overcook it, right? Yeah. All right, man. So the only restaurant you got going still is Mabel's? Just Mabel's. Well, we also have uh, we have Angeline at the Borgata in Atlantic City, which is uh, an Italian restaurant named after my mom. Yeah. Um, which I love. Yeah. It's, it's you know, Italian-American restaurant. Sure. Um, and then we have some really casual Bar Simons, which are in, like, some airports and stuff. But, like, our, our freestanding restaurants are Angeline um, and Mabel's. And, and we may, you know, I'm going to say it here because it's sometimes when I say things, they happen. And I... And I've been trying to convince my wife, Liz, of this. I really, really want to open a little Greek restaurant in L.A. Please, man. Greek is the best. I used to live in Astoria. It's the best. Oh, it's the best. It's so it's so clean and it's so simple. Yep. There's and... such a beauty about Greek food. And it's so celebratory. Yeah. You know, so that's, uh, I'm trying to. <laughs> Try to convince Liz of it. We'll see what happens. We used to go. I used to go to Kiklides. Oh yeah, it's the best. The great that that fucking octopus. Dude. Oh, so good. It's so, so simple. Good. Yeah, great talking to you, Michael. So fun. Thank you. Yep. There you go. That was nice. I, I'm definitely going to go uh, go down there and, uh, and and talk to Michael Moore. Nice guy. Simply Simon Suppers recipes and menus for every week of the year comes out next week, Tuesday. September 12th. Again, you can pre-order it right now and hang out for a minute, will you folks? People, if you're signed up for the full Marin, tomorrow we'll have even more of my talk with Todd posted exclusively for full Marin subscribers. It's just very odd when you're in a fairly small gathering and, you know, Lauren Michaels walks in. Right. <laughs> you're like, oh, my, am I auditioning now? <laughs> well, that's why I said I texted the group text the day after. I said, I think I got SNL. <laughs> that's funny. Thanks, everyone. Did you ever audition for that? I, um, I, yeah, I did. Yeah? <laughs> I don't know why I'm hesitating. I did two rounds of stand-up, and the second round was, in, I did the first in front of, like, Marcy Klein, I right. think. Right. 
And then the second round was at the comic strip with him there. And, right. I think I was uh, on that same thing. That and must it have been went fine. That time. But it was also a thing like I never thought I would be a, an SNL guy. So yeah. I think I just fell into the audition. And That must have been the time when, around the time when I auditioned. Yeah. It must have been that same bunch of auditions, right? Probably, what, yeah. we, what, we were like 12 years old? Yeah, I, was, I, was, uh, I think I was nine. Yeah. <laughs> were we like 20-something? To sign up for the full Marin, go to the link in the episode description or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF Plus. This guitar take, I, I, you know, I had the slide guitar. I had the uh, Open G tuned guitar plugged in, so I just picked it up. And I, this is sort of a first take. I rarely do that. But I just, I, I, well, I was recording, and I didn't really realize it. So this, I just picked it up and did this, and I thought it made sense. So uh, here you go. I, it did the, the, the end part, the uh, Boomer Lives part, got a little... I had, I, had, I had some level control issues. Boomer lives. <laughs>